I would like to make a few comments. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. There is a religious war going on in this country. It is a cultural war. This war is for the soul of America. Because of the way this society is organized, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. Our side, our side, our side. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish. Did we come all this way for this? It all seems a long way from a time when politics was a national passion and sometimes even fun. a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are met here as Americans, not as Democrats or Republicans, to solve that problem. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast with Jack Miller. Keep up the good work. Welcome to episode 13 of the Pothole Problem Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Miller. And this episode, we're continuing our interviews with elected officials. For this interview, I went down to the Salem State House to interview Representative Shelley Bossard Davis. She's a Republican who represents District 15. She's a freshman member of the Oregon House of Representatives elected in 2018. And I spoke to her in November of 2019 when the legislative session was going on. And I spoke to her in her office at the end of a day where she had been in a variety of committee meetings and had cast a number of votes. So that's the setting for the interview. She discusses a lot of issues, and I'll just let the interview speak for itself. So here is Representative Shelley Bossart Davis coming to you from the Capitol Building in Salem, Oregon. Thank you for agreeing to an interview with me today. Yes, absolutely. Glad you're here. It's the first day of legislative days. And that must be pretty exciting. Yeah, and actually I was just walking through and it feels like the halls are just abuzz with this energy. And if you're in these um, hallways or offices outside of legislative days or outside of session, it's very quiet. No one can see this because it's a podcast, but you have a smile on your face and it's at the end of a long day and yet you seem pretty energetic. So you must be feeling the energy coursing through you. Yeah, actually, um, that's interesting because I was actually just realizing how quickly days go by when you're filled with meetings and back to back and um, going from place to place. Your day goes by rather quickly. Um, The only thing that I compare it to, I grew up on a grass seed farm and I've been part of harvest since I was 11 years old. I've only missed one harvest and days go by really quickly when you're in harvest as well. So sometimes I compare the two. Now you are a state representative, so you are one of 60 votes in the house and one of 90 lawmakers here in the building that gives you a kind of a special position as you walk around Um, how does that feel to know that you are one of those 90 key votes I would say, you know, it is special, yes, it's a heavy responsibility because you're, each one of us is representing a constituency of somewhere, you know, around 60,000 people um, in this state. And so that comes with the responsibility and, and something that I take with honor and, and don't take lightly. So I want to hear how, but also why you got into politics, because it is a heavy responsibility and it's also a hard job. You have to go back to the people for re-election, you have to run a campaign and you have to run a legislative It's a lot. It's a hard job, and yet you chose to put yourself into this, and you have to re-interview for it every two years. What got you into politics, and why was that important to you, and, and what has sustained you? 
in your political career? All very, very good questions. So real quickly, I'm also a mom. I have three daughters. They are 17, 14, and 12 right now. That's a really big job as well. It is a big job. I do wear a lot of hats, and here we aren't paid as much, but we're also a citizen's legislature. And so unlike California, that's really a full-time legislative session, and I think it goes nine to ten months every single year, whereas here in the odd years, we're in a long session, which runs about five months, and in the even years, we have a 35-day session. So it's definitely a... Maybe you would call it a part-time gig, um, although we're always doing legislative work or constituent work, sorry, is what I meant to say. Um, but I still have a job outside of this. Um, and then, of course, I have I am a mom, which also is a, a pretty heavy job. Um, I, I, I do have a driver. And so she that, that was part of the equation for running is that she would be able to drive um, and an incredibly supportive husband. So um, I've got great teams everywhere. But going back to what got me involved or got me um, involved in the political process... I come from agriculture and transportation is my background. And in 2014 and 2015, we had um, on the West Coast, the West Coast port crisis, and our trucks were going in and out of the ports of Port of Portland. And there was a slowdown at the ports and um, there was some major issues where our um, ports were basically deemed unreliable and hurt international business and international commerce. So in 1415, I got involved in that, and I realized how much one person speaking out really made a difference and getting people um, to understand how much that impacted everything from there was one time I went to Costco and I was picking up pictures and they didn't have the envelopes to put the pictures in because they were held up on the port somewhere in sort of that transportation maze. And um, I think people really don't understand transportation and all of the um, the spokes that kind of run together. And that could be rail, that's individual passenger cars, trucks, transit, uh, international shipping. And that's something that I grew up in and know really well. And so being able to speak out on that and getting a lot of voices together where we could actually reach our members of Congress and eventually meet the labor secretary and work with um, getting that resolved. And it took five months to get that Um, labor negotiation actually rectified, but also it took about 18 months to two years for those problems to right themselves. And I also realized along the lines that our local house um, reps and senators didn't understand the impacts of what that was. And so I feel that I bring that kind of voice into this arena and and also the farming, natural resources, timber, transportation. There's not a lot of us in the legislature, and I feel like I bring that kind of experience. Um, When Andy Olson, the former representative from District 15, he represented our area very well, incredibly well, for 14 years, and he decided it was time to retire. So he gave me a call and asked me if I would run, and that's what got me pretty much the first time thinking of actually running for office and seeing if it would work um, in my life and, and whether I could bring something to it and hopefully do some good. So you were energized by a particular issue that you had expertise in. Now, you mentioned that it took 18 months to two years to resolve. That's one of the things about politics. It is slow and potentially frustrating. How do you relate to that pace? You obviously, even before you ran, saw what the pace of change was going to be. And even though, as you say, you know, a few voices can really make a difference, also, a few voices don't necessarily speed things up. That's, that's very true. For one great example, before my time in 2017... 
the legislature here passed on bipartisan lines um, the transportation package, which people are probably very familiar with or maybe have heard about. And it's interesting, though, when you talk about there was a vote, there were reasons that individual legislators would vote for it. Some might have voted for it for perhaps the extra lane in the Rose Quarter because that's a bottleneck in, on I-5 in the Rose Quarter area. And, you know, two years later, we're still dealing with that. Is there going to be enough money for that particular project? And I can imagine the people that lobbied for it, the people that got their members behind it, that ended up supporting that piece of legislation. And still, two years later, they're still not decided on whether that Rose Quarter project and that extra lane is going to happen. And so that's one thing that's um, when you when you say, and I say it takes years, this is years that's still not in effect and it's very frustrating. So as a previous lawmaker that voted for it, how frustrating that would be to say that's why I voted for it. And um, to have that kind of oversight and continuing conversations, whether in this case, whether it's with ODOT or current legislation, that's a very frustrating frustrating aspect because we can't, when we pass a law, we can't prevent future legislation from happening either. And so there's all of these things that when people start understanding how it works, their eyes are open and they're like, this is really messy. And you're right, it's really messy. And I think that people have probably heard, you know, sausage making and lawmaking, they're both not pretty. And I can attest in my short time of what I've seen, it, that's actually true. And it's frustrating to watch sometimes. So you're relatively new to politics. Do you see this frustration being something that might eventually get to you? Or do you have mechanisms? I mean, you're a mom, so you've been through uh-huh. the frustrations of parenthood. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you've had some training there. Do you have ways that you deal with the potential of mm-hmm. frustration as well as the other negative emotions mm-hmm. that just come up? You know, I think that I manage my expectations really well. I, I believe um, I'm a freshman lawmaker. I'm in the super minority currently. And so I think coming into this process that my expectations were low, not in a negative sense, just for a a realistic approach to it. And I think that what I wanted to accomplish, I believe the state has too many laws in general. I'm not one to say, look at all these laws that I passed. I'm more here to be a voice for my district, to open lines of communication as much as possible. Um, I think that I did that well. I think that I can do that better, and that's a goal of mine, to meet with government classes in high school, to reach out to Oregon State students and and Lynn Benton Community College students and let them know that their voice matters and for them to make sure that they're involved in the political process and realizing that um, local politics, national politics, state politics, they matter in your life for so many different reasons and and also to be a voice for agriculture and transportation and just to lend that experience to whatever bills are being talked about and and debated and discussed. So those were my expectations. Those were what I set out to do. I feel like I accomplished that. So that I think keeps me in a good mood, I guess, and to um, kind of manage that. I didn't expect a lot more than that. But I will say that I am very grounded I think coming from um, the family that I come from, I've got two feet planted firmly on the ground. Um, I know where my roots are, and um, I know who to go to. I've got a a phenomenal family, um, phenomenal um, husband, kids, and great teams here at the Capitol and at my uh, my trucking business and export business as well. So it, it keeps me grounded, and I have a lot of um, people that I can go to. Or they say it takes a village to raise a child. It maybe takes a village <laughs> to support a state <laughs> representative. That is absolutely true. The, the support coming um, from people that say, I truly believe that there's going to be a far left and a far right always, 
but most of us live in the middle somewhere, that 80%. And to be able to build those relationships with people on both sides, both chambers in this building and both sides of the aisle, I think are truly important. And I maintain that we're all people and we agree on more than we disagree. And that's kind of how I view things. We may not agree, but we're still moms and dads and uh, members of community. And we do want to see our communities be successful. You're listening to the Pothole Problem Podcast, created by White Tiger Productions. At White Tiger Productions, we create experiences. If you have an idea for a podcast, a workshop, or a show of any kind, we'll help you go from concept to execution. We provide creative direction and production support. We've got a podcast studio, writers and storytellers, sound engineers and editors, designers, videographers, hosts, creative coaches, everything you need to manifest your creative potential. You name it or even vaguely describe it, and we'll take you from dream to finished product. White Tiger Productions. You can do what you think, and we can help you. Visit us at youcandowhatyouthink.com and tell us what you're thinking about. Do you find that people bring a bunch of preconceived notions to what a politician's life is like? Oh, yeah. And my response typically is, I'm not your average politician, you know, and I, I don't even know if I really like that word. And you so have to accept it. I have to accept it because that's what I am. Um, but it is a, a very negative word. Not that it doesn't deserve to be negative. I mean, it's, it, we live in a very polarizing time. Or they expect me to be an angry, bashing the other side all the time. And I don't know if you'll ever find me talking negative about one of my colleagues, regardless of whether I agree with them or not, because um, again, we're all people. And I don't think that it helps anybody to become more and more polarizing. So I think maybe that's the expectation is that I hate X, Y, and Z. Well, I don't. There's reasons why I might not like that kind of policy, but um, we're all humans. And that's something that we have to continuously remember. But yeah, there's some expectations that people think of me, but Again, I'm not your average. There's a lot more moms in this building, more than I think probably any other time in history. But still, we're in the minority. And to have three young kids at home um, that are under the age of 18 is um, not common. What are some of the obstacles that you've faced and that you've seen your female colleagues face uh, in being a woman in politics in America in the 21st century? You know, I there were people that as I was looking at running for office and whether I could do this with the life that I led, and um, even my parents um, said, and they're okay hearing this, they said, you know, Jelly, you have young kids at home, and you have to be a mom too. And so, and I really, in being also not your average politician, I'm probably not your average mom either. And I look at it as they get this experience that not many people have. And what an experience for them to see their mom run for something and be a voice and be respected in that community or industry or um, wherever I'm trying to lend that voice or that um, experience to. And so they're also very independent, competent young ladies. And um, I rely on them and and they rely on me as well. They do a lot at home. I think that there's an expectation that my husband and I have for our children that may be a bit higher than a lot of their friends, um, which they tell us all the time. So I know that that's true, but I think that's part of it. I think that we're, that we're all family, but I also come from industries that are very male dominated. I come from agriculture and transportation and exports and business. And so um, I've always been part of that male dominated industry. I have, I'm oldest of five kids. There's four girls and a boy. And my parents always treated us as 
competent humans, not females or males, or you work in the kitchen and you work in the fields. And so we were running equipment at, you know, 12, 13 years old. And that's very empowering that you can do a job that anybody else can do. Coming into this building, there's just a recent past of some major issues when it comes to male and females and harassment and issues that have been here in this building. You take a step back a little bit because I don't know if I've ever felt so female as to when I walked into this building. And you're saying that as a person coming from trucking and from agriculture. From trucking and ag, and I've always been in a male-dominated industry. Politics even more so. Even more so. Even more so. I felt, I always felt that if you can do the job and you knew what you were talking about, it didn't matter your gender. And that's how I was received. I think the house is made up of 47% females. And so I think, you know, it becomes less and less of a conversation, but we're still stumbling through some of these societal expectations and um, how that works. But I Do you think s- that men who have three children, ages of your children, that their families ever ask them, well, what about the kids? I think that that's true. They might say it must be hard with young kids, you know, being away from home. That could come into it. There's still that mom, dad thing, right or wrong. You are a pretty tough woman, I can Mm -hmm. tell, and you've (laughs) had a lot of experience, and as you say, male-dominated industries, the many women who don't have that same experience, do you Mm -hmm. think they find it more challenging to be in this still male-dominated world of politics, or is it getting better, even in your brief time? I would say yes to both of those, though, because there are so many women in leadership. It's kind of that saying, you have to see it to be it. And if you see, you know, our governor and our attorney general and our secretary of state, Bev Clarno, and the speaker of the house, I mean, there's a lot of women in leadership. And so that I think has to be less, you know, coming from somewhere that and you're stepping into a male dominated industry, I'm sure that that's got to be challenging in some ways, trying to figure out kind of where you play in this world of politics in this world of the capital here and how, um, everything comes into play in in that case. And so I would think that, yes, it would be challenging. Um, but I think that that's changing. I think that it's changing. Well, certainly with 47% women in the U.S. Congress, it's more like 17%. It, yeah, it's uh, much different. And as you point out, with a whole range of women in leadership positions, there's mm-hmm. that not only that role modeling, but there's that possibility, not just, well, I can be a state legislator, mm-hmm. but I can never be Speaker of the House, right? I can mm-hmm. never be governor. So that must feel pretty good. I mean, you have three daughters, mm-hmm. and how do you feel about the future of the world, given the they have to grow up into it? Well, I think that they see what, um, that's one of my um, most proud moments, is they've been able to see... Um, me and also extremely, I have extremely strong friends, women friends in the agricultural arena that they can look up to. And so I, you know, it's kind of this, this strange line of, I remember explaining to my girls because they asked me, they saw something about a glass ceiling and they asked me what a glass ceiling was. And so you're explaining, you're trying to explain it to them. And my youngest says, well, that sounds stupid. And I'm like, well, Yeah, honey, I mean, that's fantastic that you believe you can do anything you want, and I love that, but also recognize that this was a very hard-fought road that women before me, women before my mother, women before all of these women that have worked really hard to get to where we are so that my daughter, Sam, can say, well, I can do anything because she sees that now. And so it's kind of this, you have to understand where we are, Um, understand also where we came from and be very grateful for that. 
It seems like being in politics, whether you're a man or a woman, requires a certain level of toughness. What would be other traits that you would identify as being important to be able to succeed, either as an elected official or as a staff member or a strategist? When I first started this and you said tough, my husband said, I ask one thing, and that's for you to get tougher skin. And that has happened. And that's kind of the realistic that I'm not going to make everybody happy and I know where I'm rooted. So that's kind of how I've been able to develop a tougher skin and not let things bother me as much as I did even a couple years ago. It seems like pretty good on-the-job training. Yes. I would imagine that going to a town hall meeting with constituents is yes. a place where tough skin grows. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to develop that, but also, you know, also don't want to be so tough that you don't take some of those concerns in. So, you know, just being able to recognize that. But some other things, and this is a little bit cliche, but hearing somebody and listening are two different things. You have to be open to listen to that other idea because if you don't listen to them, why would you expect them to listen to you? And so that I think that would be, if I were to offer out any advice or something that I've learned is to that relationship building is probably the number one requirement into being what you would call maybe a successful politician or a successful lawmaker or just somebody in the building is being able to build those relationships, being able to listen, to hear people talk and not to just hear for things where you can then interject. I mean, you really have to say, okay, let me hear where you're coming from and actually care where they're coming from because just because I didn't experience what they are talking about doesn't mean that it isn't real. It just means that I didn't experience it. And so for them, for me to expect somebody to listen to me, I have to do the same. So there is a level of toughness, but there also has to be a level of listening to each other in the building if we're ever going to get anywhere. How to balance that toughness with openness Mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually a great piece of advice for anybody in any field, Mm -hmm. I would say, especially in this particular (laughs) field. Now, that goes against the common perception of what politics is about, which is about advancing your agenda or pushing your issues. And it strikes me that maybe one of the challenges, too, is, and you've alluded to this already, getting people past that cliche that politicians Mm -hmm. are just out there to win Mm -hmm. and that they don't listen and they just take sides and more and more they just yell at each other. Mm -hmm. You're saying it's a a Mm relationship-based? Absolutely. And and, and that's good for people to know. It's it's, good for people to hear hear behind the curtain that it's not necessarily what we see on television. It's uh, it's exactly where I was going with that, is you see something on TV, typically it's going to be at a national level, and I just find it fascinating that if they disagree with somebody, then there is nothing right about that person. It's all negative all the time, and I just think that just can't be real. And to bring that into the building here, like I said, you won't see me bashing somebody personally, because we can disagree on policy We can disagree on politics, but you go back to, um, I just don't believe that it it has to be that polarizing. And and I I have those conversations with colleagues both sides of the aisle uh, often. And um, there's been some where we've taken a picture where I'm wearing red and she's wearing blue and we're on the house floor and we take a picture and we're like, let me introduce you to my friend. And so that's just something that's really important to me because... We have to be able to try and make it better um, and to get people. And there's some people that, that want that drama and want that polarization and really, really push that. And I'm just not one of those people. Well, and I'm hopeful that there are more and more of you around. And if not, have, that there have been many of you around for most of the time. It's just that the polarizing people have gotten the most attention. I, I want to thank you for that attitude because it makes me feel more serene knowing that that's at least part of the culture here inside the state legislature. 
So I just want to thank you for talking to me today, and I really appreciate the time that you've given to me. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity to um, always talk about anything regarding politics, uh, policy, how to get involved, and I would encourage everybody to make sure they know their legislator, make sure they try to develop a relationship, and learn how policy works here in Salem. So that's the interview for episode 13 of the Pothole Problem podcast. Always interesting to get the insider's perspective in politics, an elected official talking about what that is like. So I want to thank Shelley Bossart Davis for the time that she gave me in a very busy legislative session period. Of course, I want to thank all of my listeners for hanging around with the Pothole Problem podcast. I hope that you continue to value the perspectives that you're getting from these interviews. Next week, we're going to interview Multnomah County Commissioner Jessica Vega-Peterson, and she will give us yet another insider's perspective on the world of politics. Before we go away, of course, the song this week, it is an original song by the Taurus Pedals, I Heart Chithulu, and here it is.